Did you just have a birthday? No birthdays. Hmm. I swear you had a big birthday. <laughs> Got a retirement date. Uh, oh, really? Three weeks, two weeks. Nice. Now what are you going to do? I don't know. <laughs> no idea. Oh, you'll figure that out. It's easier than you think. Okay. <laughs> Take my word for it. Play with the horses, I think. Maybe the cows. There you go. There you go. Hey, Bill. Hey, Steve. Alan, how you doing? Good. How are you? I am well. Thank you. Good. Just like you made it back home. I did, yeah. Bill, is that a mixing board behind you? Yeah? Nice. Big time. Yep. Cool. Yep, we got about 3,000, 4,000 watts sitting in here. <laughs> Are you a musician? DJ. Ah, okay. Yep. Do weddings and parties. and. Okay. I did not know that. Hi, Alan. It's <laughs> <laughs> hmm. probably not the first time you've heard it, but you've got the perfect radio voice. Uh-huh. Thanks. phone in um, and do the participation via telephone call. Uh, with that, Sarah, if you would be so kind as to call the roll. Hey, Steve Warnke. Yes. Brian Kelly. Yes. Andrew Benjamin. Here. Roberta Marshall. Bill Norris. Here. Uh, Greg Yeager. Here. Peter Flint. Here. Linda Miller. Linda. Paul Weiss. Here. Uh, Jim DeFrancia. Here. And Ren Martin. No Ren. Okay. That's it. Perfect. Thank you very much. We do have a quorum. I'd also note for the record that from the uh, Route County Planning staff, we have Christy Windsor, Planning Director, Alan Golich, and Alina Bell, which I might add, who just recently joined staff, and we welcome her officially. I'd also note for the record, um, we have a number of the public here. We have a Bruce Johnson, Mike Farrell, David Park. Um, hang tight for a minute while I just scroll this. Jim Zimmer. Did I miss anybody? Um, Annie Boudreaux, John Vanderbloom, I think. David Park, did I catch you? Not did that already. I think that covers it. So at this point in time, I'd now like to call to order the May 6th meeting of the Route County Planning Commission. Having noted who's all here and who isn't, um, I'll go further. First item on the agenda is public comment. 
Anyone who wishes to address the Planning Commission on any matter that is not on the agenda this evening, now would be the time to do so. Hearing none, we'll go to the next item. Items for consideration. Prentice Gravel Pit, PL-21-111, renewal of a special use permit for Gravel Pit. Will there be anyone representing the petitioner uh, this evening? Bruce, you're muted. There I am. Can you hear me? Yes. I'm Bruce Johnson. I'm the owner of the pit. Ah. Bruce, why don't you address and just tell us a little bit about what you got going here? Um, well, the background on it is I bought the property, the Prentress Ranch in uh, the fall of 19 or 20, 2017 and uh, inherited the gravel pit and tried to get it back into operation. And of course, then the existing uh, permit expires uh, coming this summer. And so we made application to have it renewed to continue operating it the way that it is. The site originally was about a nine acre site and it's about half uh, mined. And uh, I was very happy to be able to work with Alan. He did a good job of leading me down the path and telling me what I needed to do and what he wanted and what he could do and how we could work together. And I really appreciate that. So that's uh, the report I thought did a good job of, of putting the uh, mechanics of the thing, the details of it. If you need any more questions, I'm more than happy to deal. I don't how I don't know how much you want me to elaborate on things, but I thought that Alan did a good job of presenting it to you folks. Uh, Bruce, I think he did as well. Um, we'll have maybe Alan provide his comments, and then the commissioners can direct any questions that they may have to you or Alan um, in just a bit. Alan. Uh, yeah, so like Bruce said, this is the renewal of a special use permit for a gravel pit. Uh, this is a map of, this is the, the parcel that the pit is on. Here's the town of Hayden, Highway 40 to the north of it. Yampa River runs along the uh, northern property boundary. Um, the pit is right here on, in the, on the parcel, and then here is a blow-up of, of that. So here's County Road 65 in the southern portion of the picture. There's an access road that goes up the hill, makes a right, and then goes to the actual pit. Um, here's the scale right here. Uh, and as Bruce said, this is a 9.9 .9 acre pit. It's about four and a half acres have been mined uh, in the pit. There were a couple pieces of heavy machinery used to excavate and um, get the gravel out. Uh, there was a crusher up here by the, by the scale house. Um, it's a perfect location for a pit. There's no uh, adjacent landowners that are in close proximity to the pit. 
Uh, it cannot be seen from the county road, cannot be seen from the highway. There's a good buffer in between it and the river. So um, the chance of contamination of the river from the pit are, is very slim. Uh, the way the pit is graded, no stormwater leaves the pit. It is all graded to where it flows to the northeast portion of the pit and then just evaporates off. Um, this permit was first issued in 2011. Uh, they have been in compliance with all of the conditions of approval. We have not gotten any complaints about the pit. The review that, that I conducted as part of the staff report did not include review of the master plan back in 2011. Planning Commission and the Board of County Commissioners determined that this was in compliance with the master plan. None of the applicable policies have changed in the master plan. So the review was limited to, a, uh, to the conditions of approval and compliance with those conditions of approval. Uh, all of the required state permits are in place and, um, yeah, those, those are my comments right now. Okay. Commissioners, any questions for either staff or the petitioner? Wow. Silence is deafening. Um, <laughs> I have a I have a couple. Um, and Alan, I think this goes to you. I'm pretty sure that I read that the petitioner offers for sale and sells topsoil excess of that which is required for reclamation. Did I read that correctly? No. I did not. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so I do, I, I do remember seeing a note about that in the uh, the state inspection report, and they just wanted to make sure that there was enough topsoil on site in order to meet the reclamation requirements, and. Uh, I think they determined that there was in that the latest. The most recent inspection by DRMS was in 2016, and the only thing that was noted in that report was uh, the lack of weed control, but they did address right. that and submitted a <clears throat> weed control plan. And when I was out there last month, I did not see any, any weed issues. Okay, but for the record, then the topsoil, is, I, that wasn't an issue with me so much as just I want to make sure that if topsoil was in fact being sold, that it was covered as an activity, but it becomes moot. Um, second question, more of a comment. Number 24 in the conditions, the operator shall submit an annual report to the planning department and the assessor's office that details total materials hauled, remaining reserves, and total number of truck trips by February 15th of the following year. Alan, is that not the duplicative 
does the petitioner have to already do that in terms of trying to maintain? Well, thought I read he's obligated to provide six cents a ton to the county. So already we're keeping track of tons, I think. I'm just trying to trying to save some additional work if it's already being done. Uh, so Am I making the, any sense? The, the six cents per ton, that's for road maintenance costs and that gets paid to uh, Route County Public Works. This, and then the assessor also uses this information for uh, valuation and tax purposes. So this is a condition that has been requested by the assessor's office so that they can make sure that their records are accurate and complete. And this is a standard condition that gets put on all, all gravel pit permits. Well, then let me twist it back to the, the petitioner. Um, that doesn't appear to bother you in terms of creating an additional work in terms of operating the facility. No, we, we monitor that stuff monthly. So, you know, we have those records anyway, and that's how we know how to, what we're going to be paying because we have numbered trucks and we have scale tickets and, and all of that on anything that goes out. Of course, I always like to do less paperwork, but on the other hand, we already have the data. <laughs> Got it. Uh, and then the last, I just want to make sure that you're comfortable with the limitations of annual tonnage. Uh, yes, that's a small pit. And the market, unfortunately, this far out, the market is a lot thinner than we'd like to have it. Um, I don't know that, I think there's only been one year that I'm familiar with that was anywhere close to the 30,000 uh, figure. Most of the time it's half that or less. And then the, okay. the, the, this, I, I just would like to make one comment about that. 70,000 tons is a, is a threshold for uh, yeah. a number of state permits. And so if you go above 70,000 tons in production in a year, then it kicks in the requirement for certain other state permits. And so I don't know if that it had plays any plays in into any uh, operations of the pit, but it would if they did exceed that, they would be required to get additional permits from the state. Understood. I see Jim has his hand raised, and so does Greg. Uh, uh, yeah, this is Jim. If I can go next, uh, Bruce, what's your expected? Um, life of the of the of the pit uh, remaining until you sort of you know until you're done well there were several years during this last 10 year that they didn't have much operation we really feel that we should have this thing uh finished and reclaimed by the end of this 10-year uh, permit thank you and then i had a question of the staff it, it may be in there i apologize if i didn't flag it but what protection do we have for reclamation when they're done so the state had the state holds the reclamation bond and okay. they they do their calculations to make sure that the required overburden and topsoil and all of that is on site and then they have enough bonding to complete that work in case the operator uh, were to not complete that 
We okay. do. Route County does have a regulation that says that as long as the state has bonding for reclamation, that the county is not going to duplicate and require additional bonding for that. Um, now, and that, but that that's just for the pit and for the reclamation. If there are any offsite impacts to say the county roads, we've got the um, we we uh, charge that six cents per ton to offset the impacts to the county roads from this operation. Thanks, thanks, Alan. That answered my question. We're uh, deferring to the state primarily, and we cover the roads. Thank you. No more, no further questions. And in addition to that, we pay uh, your uh, public works, your road and bridge people, um, about twenty-five, twenty-seven hundred a year for mag chloride on part of road 65 that they don't make chloride. Thanks, Bruce. Uh, Greg is next and then Peter. Yeah, I was wondering with the weed management plan, I understand that there was one submitted, but is there any kind of obligation that we have? I don't see it in the conditions other than reporting of uh, yearly what they have done and what they do have for inventory, but no real obligation as a condition uh, for the weed management plan. And I was just wondering if that was kind of fitting into uh, like the normal conditions that we have kind of saying that you have to follow all state, federal and county uh, regulations. And if that would just kind of fit in there now that you have a weed management plan, you have to follow it. Uh, yeah, uh, there's, there is that general condition and it is, it is state law that you have to control weeds on your property. So um, the, the weed department has asked for those, uh, annual maps and reports to ensure that they are in fact doing, going out looking for weeds and spraying for them. So, uh, we haven't had any issues with, uh, a pit not submitting that information or that information causing a concern with what's going on at the pit, but it is something that is provided to the, uh, the weed department whenever, whenever it is submitted. Thank you. Any other questions from commission? I think Peter, Peter has, yeah, a, hand Peter has a hand up. Yeah, I think mine's yeah. a follow up. Mine's a follow-up to Greg's question. Um, Alan, you said you looked at the weeds in early April. Well, early April, there aren't any weeds. So what happens to make sure that once weed growing season starts that they're in compliance? Um, currently, not much, but we are in the process of coming up with an inspection program for all of the permits that Route County has issued. And we are going to be getting um, all of those permits and especially gravel pits on a, an inspection cycle so that we can get, that, get out there every two or three years to make sure things, if there is a weed problem, that, it, that it's not getting out of control. Okay, yeah, I just, just wanted to point out that early April, the weeds have not sprouted yet. I, as I made that comment, that thought was going through my head. 
If, if you came and looked at my fields, you'd be impressed at how weed-free they are right now. <laughs> Come back in two months. For Just for a comment on your weed concern, uh, when I inherited the property, when I purchased the property, there was a substantial weed problem over the entire ranch. We have approximately 4,600 total deeded acres and another uh, 2,500 state lease. And... Uh, we have been very aggressive on going after the various uh, noxious and semi-noxious weeds and, and improving the till process. And in fact, we've got tractors in the field right now, but it's very important. Gary Bryden, who used to be a, a weed man, uh, is the one who I consult with. And Jeremy does a lot of my uh, spot spraying because he's licensed and I don't have to worry about getting that kind of a permit. Thank you. Uh, any other questions from staff? Oh, I'm from uh, commissioners. Okay, hearing none, I'd like to open it up to the public. Anyone from the public wishes to um, provide comment on the, um, on the petition before us, now would be the time to do so. If you can, raise your hand. We'll um, recognize you. Christy or Sarah, am I seeing none? I don't, I don't see anybody. Either do I. Okay, hearing none or having no comments from the public, I'll close the public session. Um, at this point in time, once again, any comments and or concerns from the commissioners regarding the uh, in effect, extension or yeah, the extension of the existing permit for another 10 years. Once again, the silence is deafening. <laughs> I think under the circumstances and hearing no issues or concerns um, on the subject of PL-21-111, Cheryl will entertain a motion. I move we approve special use permit PP 2011-020, the renewal of the permit with general conditions one through 11, 13 and 14, and specific conditions 15 through 22 as amended in, in, the, in our packet. There's some crossed out sections in here. Second that motion. Wait a minute. Uh, just to be clear, um, Alan, could you could you scroll down and show the twelve that's missing? Is that entire condition the entire sections? The entire sections crossed out. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. It's just yeah. just as presented is is the way you want it. Yeah. See, there you go. There's twelve. It's all crossed out. Okay, got it. Thank you. Um, we have a motion. Well, who's the second, please? Uh, Jim DeFrancio is a second, Steve. Jim, thank you. We have a motion and a second to approve, again, PL-21-111. Um, all those in favor of the motion? Any discussion on the motion to begin with? Hearing none, all those in favor of the motion, please signify by saying yes. 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 
Yes. Opposed, please say no. Chair votes yes. Motion is carried. Activity PL-21-111 is approved. And Sarah, just for the record, I think you probably saw that Linda did join us. I, I did see that. Okay. And I, think I, I, have, and I think I have everybody uh, from the public, but if people do speak that happen to come up with just phone numbers, we can find out who they are then. And you, um, did you, um, Sarah, have you picked up the additional from the public? I mean, I'm yes. showing a Yes. Okay, perfect, perfect, perfect. Okay. And Steve, All just right. if you would like just to reiterate um, for the people that are on the phone or may have just joined um, when there is public comment, how they can do that. I'd be more than happy to, Christy. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> again, for the benefit of those that um, are on this as a Zoom meeting because it is Zoom, a couple of issues that we have found work well for all of the participants. Number one, um, we'd appreciate it if you keep yourself muted so as to eliminate a background noise. When, uh, if you have a comment that you wish to make, we'd appreciate it also if you would raise your hand. There is a feature or a function on the Zoom um, role at the bottom. I think it's under the participants section. However, if for some reason that isn't working for you, if you're on video in the meeting, raise your hand and if you're not, Hey, feel free to interrupt when you think the timing is appropriate. Um, and then again, for those of you that are on phone only, um, you'll probably end up having to interrupt, but that's okay. We'll deal with that. No problem. Okay, moving forward. As you go, as I want to thank you very much. This is this is the applicant on the pet case. Thank you, and I appreciate working with Alan. Bruce, you're more than welcome. Have a good evening. You too. Thank you. Although if you'd like to stay, you're more than welcome. Okay. I might listen to you for a while. I was on Royal County Planning Commission for a while, so. <laughs> Very good. Um, stand by for just a minute. Okay. Next item is PL-21-108 and PL-21-109, Landlocked View Sketch Subdivision and Zone Change. Before we um, start this petition uh, in the process, I think it would be of value if Alan would, for the benefit of A, the new commissioners, be kind of a refresher on the existing commission and C, uh, those that are participating from the public. Alan, if you just kind of walk us through this entire sketch process, subdivision process, I think that would serve a great purpose. So please. Uh, Paul, Paul Weiss has a question on Planning Commission. I don't have a question. I'm just stating that for this um, subdivision and zone change, I have a conflict of interest and cannot participate. Okay, very good. Paul, thank you for bringing that to us. Are you, um, are you gonna monitor it or are you begging off? I'm definitely going to monitor. You know, I'm totally interested, and you know, I'm totally um, taking notes on on county commission and being a participant. Okay, very good. Paul, I would just ask if you could just shut your video off. Um, you can still listen; that would be fine, but that would be best. 
Thank you. Okay, Ellen. so yeah, let's jump into it. So this application in front of us right now is a sketch subdivision review. And uh, the county subdivision process require, it's a three-step process uh, with the sketch subdivision being the, the first step in that, in that process. And the sketch subdivision review is really to look at the application from a 30,000 foot view. Um, during this review, we are looking for whether it is in compliance with the Route County Master Plan and any sub area plan. So in this case, it's the, the Stagecoach Community Plan. And so we're looking for compliance with the master plan and then identification of any big issues that need to get addressed at the next stage of review if it gets approved. And so the sketch subdivision is heard by planning commission who makes a recommendation to the board of county commissioners and the board of county commissioner hearing on this application is scheduled for Tuesday, May 25th at 9.40 a.m. If this application gets approved, then it would move into the preliminary subdivision review. And the preliminary subdivision is also heard by Planning Commission and the Board of County Commissioners with Planning Commission making a recommendation to the board. And at the preliminary subdivision review, that's where we're really getting into the nuts and bolts of the, of the subdivision. So engineered design drawings for roads, water system, wastewater, utilities, um, fire hydrants, uh, any wildlife mitigation plans, any wildfire mitigation plans that are required. And we compare those documents to the subdivision regulations, particularly section three and section four of those regulations. And then if that, the preliminary subdivision application gets approved, then it moves on to the final subdivision review. The final subdivision review is an administrative decision. There are no public hearings involved and the final subdivision review is making sure that um, all of the, the documentation required for the subdivision is created and reviewed by the applicant, the applicant's attorney. And so we're talking about the final plat, the subdivision improvement agreement, which is the agreement between the developer and the county with the developer guaranteeing uh, the installation of all of the required infrastructure. As part of that subdivision improvement agreement, we require a engineered cost estimate of all of the required of improvements. And that estimate is then taken and the developer is required to give the county some type of surety, whether it's cash or a letter of credit or a bond or some other type of approved security in the amount of 150% of that engineered cost estimate. And that money is in place to make sure that if the developer defaults on or doesn't install that required infrastructure, 
the county has the money to go in and finish it. Uh, the, the SIA and the bonding is the one thing that the county didn't require in Stagecoach and Steamboat Lake in the early 70s. And that's why those two areas of the county are in the position that they currently are. And so uh, some of the other documentation that would be done during the final subdivision review is the zone change resolution. Um, we're looking to make sure the covenants have all of the required elements that planning commission and the board require in it. Uh, typically there's an open space that is part of it. And we wanna make sure that the, the open space is owned by the HOA and not a private individual. And then any wildfire or wildlife mitigation plans are finalized. And then that all gets taken down to the clerk's office and recorded. And at that point, they would be able to sell lots, uh, get building permits and start building on the lots and um, actually doing, doing the development. So again, this is, it's a three-step process. We, tonight we are in step one of that process. And so one other thing I would like to touch on is the, uh, the, the planning department's policy on providing information that has been submitted after the staff packet has gone out, uh, because that is something that we typically see. The staff packet goes out and then additional letters and comments are provided. So we have a 72 hour cutoff. So planning commission is on Thursday night. That would be Monday evening uh, is the cutoff. So any information that's submitted after the staff packet goes out, but before Monday evening, then gets emailed to planning commission, which uh, y'all received that additional information on Tuesday morning. And after that Monday night cutoff, staff does not take any more written comments. Uh, and we let anybody that would like to submit any more written comments that we're, uh, we're not taking them anymore, but they are more than welcome to express those comments during the public comment portion of the hearing. And so those are just all of the, the preliminary comments that I have. I'm gonna let the applicant present their uh, application, and then I will come back and fill in any gaps and holes with information that might have been missed. Andy does Alan, have his thank hand you raised. Very much. Yeah, Andy? apologies. I was flailing with my hand raise button. Um, I think it's important. I, I wanted to disclose that I do work with um, Four Points Engineering. I am not an employee. Um, Walter and I have not had any discussions regarding this particular project or any of the details. Um, if anyone feels I should step back, I'm happy to do it. Um, I feel I can participate and be a um, impartial on this particular application. Andy, appreciate that. Thank you. Any comments on Andy's comments? Brian, Brian also has a comment. No comment on Andy's thing. If somebody else has, I don't have a comment on that. Okay. 
Uh, my, comment is my comment is different. I'm working off the packet that we I got in the mail, and the entire subdivision is cut off what they're proposing to do and what they have right now. So, uh, you know, the, the maps are literally just a very minor corner of the property. So, Alan, if somewhere in the presentation you can show the current conditions and show the future conditions, because I don't have anything in my packet that tells me that, and I suspect it's online. Thanks for bringing that to our attention, Brian. Um, but yes, Alan has that prepared and we'll bring up maps through the presentation to help you along. Uh, Jim? Uh, I just want to say I have exactly the same problem. I got a printed copy as well, had the same experience looking at the maps. So I'd appreciate it if they could bring that up. Got it. Anyone else? Uh, Andy, I think you're good to go but we appreciate um, the disclosure. So going to the petition at hand, um, will there be someone from the petitioner who will be representing and providing comments? And if so, now is the time. Good morning, Commissioner. Good, afternoon. Good evening, Commissioners. Walter McDill, Four Point Surveying. Uh, and I'm representing Eagle Mountain Builders on this application and We've, uh, we're kind of looking at a zone change. You've looked at the property. This is Snowcomo Estates, filing two, lots 9A, 9B, and lot nine. So all number nine lots here. There's a westerly lot uh, that was in Snowcomo Estates subdivision. That is lot eight. Uh, I think you guys, could I have this? Could I share my screen? Oh, here we go. Alan's helping me out. Thank you, Alan. So when you zoom in there, we'll talk about the zoning a little bit because one of the things is this is a rezone on this application. And to the west, to the west is lot eight, which is still, I think the zoning on lot eight there is high density still. Uh, on our westerly boundary, to the north is still high density and further on our other north line is high density, meadow green remainders. To the south is the Red Hawk Village subdivision, which is a high density subdivision in stagecoach. So following the ideas of the master plan based on our existing accesses, if we can zoom in on this property, uh, that would help me a little bit. Old times, new times. So what we have here is we have, you see County Road 16, Red Hawk Village is to our south, and then you start driving north and it's going downhill on 16 a little bit. There's an existing roadway that lines up with wagon wheel there and comes across. We have an access easement to get over the Red Hog Village property. Thank you, Alan. And in that, uh, that road was graded years ago, continues on, but right now there's a pressure sewer line in that road and that's getting pumped to a lift station. So there's a buried manhole in County Road 16 and there's a pressure line in there. So we're gonna use that road for our lower access and then the upper access road is that turn where Alan's taking his cursor. And that is also an access easement that was developed. And they graded a road in there as well, which lets you get higher. So the property is kind of split topographically with the low side on the west, the lower road we talked about lining up with wagon wheel and an upper portion on the east side. And this was uh, kind of left out of a lot of stagecoach development, I'm told, and was, it was purchased as kind of an outlier property, the whole Snowcomo piece. That's here nor there, but a little history. 
So when looking at the property and the stagecoach master plan, we think of high density subdivisions on the north side and kind of consolidations on the south side out in stagecoach. So that's what we put forth. Eagle Mountain Builders wants to be a builder on this property. They want to build, get lots platted, and then be the builders on them. So on the southern portion, maybe I can put up a, I'll go to my maps for a second and talk page numbers. So I, let me see. Let's go right to page three of the site plan that we're using, if we could, Alan, please. And what we have here on the site plan is our lower road on our page three, you'll see, and how we plan to develop that. So I can't, I don't have that shared screen so you all could see the site plan yet. What do y'all see right now? We just see the GIS mapping. Oh, sorry. There, is that it? Okay, thank you, that's the one. So what we have here is we have four lots along this south road with a future access in that dark northwest corner, which makes a point at the end of the turnaround. So if we get approval, we continue with our preliminary plot, which we hope to do, would be to develop this roadway. As you come in on this roadway, there's a hatch there in the first lot, which would be kind of guest parking. And then we want to develop fourplex units on these four units here. They're all above 12,000 square foot as proposed. That would be high density fourplexes. Uh, we'd have parking for each of the units underneath and we'd meet the parking requirements. We'd have a trail system to the south, we'd like to tie these trails in with SPOA and join SPOA after additional discussions. You know, we're at a high level again, as Alan said. We have a park up here where Alan's cursor is on the upper level, kind of on the benched area. That would be a dog park put in there as well as kind of a tot lot kid playground. And then on the upper portion, splitting the property topographically, we'd have five single family homes up here, six, excuse me, six lots. Those lots would be single family homes. They'd come off that upper part. They would be up on a plateau. They would be noticeable, uh, you know, from the meadow green subdivision area coming up 16, you'd see these homes. But there's a lot of homes when you're out on this site that you see this way. This property would be served with water and sewer from the Metro district. We've gone out and we've met with uh, Giovanni and the team out there and discussed our sewer. We have uh, some sewer, we would need a pump station because we don't access at this time. We don't have full access to sewer line. There's a sewer in an easement that we could get onto for a lot of our lots to be gravity, but there's about the three, the two Northwest fourplexes would need some kind of sewer pump pressure lines to get back to gravity. Uh, we think this property really fills a need in the stagecoach area for both multifamilies and single family homes. Seems to me, it seems to our estimation to meet the goals of the master plans in the area, as well as match well with development in the area. There is the, uh, you'll hear tonight from some opponents of the project that it, it's too high density, but just across the way, um, at the corner of 16, we have the same high density. And I think to really make stagecoach work out here, you want these high densities on this area, just like we have over at Eagle's Nest. 
Uh, you know, you come over here on the other side, there's high density units there at wagon wheel condominiums as well. So this isn't unheard of in this area. We feel it fits well with the area and the future development surrounding us is also high density. We all don't expect that to occur anytime soon, but it was up by the school site. You know, we can't think of a better place that uh, to make this project happen. And then we'd like to, you know, depending on where we go with this project, we're still intrigued by the, uh, the lot eight purchase there to the west and see if they're interested in any future development as well. So that's just a future. But tonight we're talking about the zoning and the zoning is the southwest portion of the property would be high density. The upper portion go to medium density. And then we have this sketch plan as well up for tonight. So I'll welcome any questions uh, from anybody on planning commission and get some feedback. Uh, commissioners, for the time being, any questions for the petitioner specific to his comments or the alternative would be to wait for Alan on uh, staff to do the thing. But either way, if you have a question that you think you have to get answered now, now would be the time to do so. Ryan. Can we see the current overlay of 9, 9A, and 9B on the same piece of property? That's what, there you go. Thank you. So to that, Brian, just, you can see it, you know, surveying so well, uh, a lot of easements down here on the south portion, and you have the crossing access easement. We have a 60-foot wide access easement on this south line. There is some slopes up here in this back part. We did provide a slope analysis and we're kind of staying out of the 30% slopes. The existing road on, uh, on this easterly side to the, uh, the, of the roadway, that's a steep slope above 16. Uh, you know, headlights coming up that road won't go into the other properties, they'd be above. And you know, future access here, this is kind of the first road that brings us into these other properties. Again, it's a private road, which is the access road for the future lot eight as well development, so. Uh, Walter, I maybe wrote this down wrong. What did you suggest would be the square footage for those fourplexes? Well, the, the lot square footage is, the overall lot's 12,000 square feet. I think we're talking about, and Eagle Mountain Builders would like to build these units too. So they have a footprint for uh, these units. And I think I've seen 2,000 square feet on those units. Okay, I, yeah, I think, I heard you say 12,000, but that was the lot size. Yes, yes. Oh, thank you. Any other questions for Walter at this point? Uh, Alan, you want to talk to us a little bit about staff's findings? Uh, yeah, so uh, a comment on the existing, the existing conditions. So these are the three lots that exist. There is an approval from 2008 to further subdivide these lots. Uh, that plat has not been recorded. It has continuously gotten extensions from the Board of County Commissioners on the deadline to record the plat. 
but through the existing approvals, the size of the lots and uh, the zoning of the lots, the eight dwelling units could, could be built out there right now. And based on what is proposed, the size of these multifamily lots down here and the zoning that is proposed, the potential density would equal 22, 22 dwelling units. So an additional, if approved, it would be an additional 14 units above and beyond what is already approved on the lots. And so what, it, what is shown right here are the, the actual multifamily lots. And since the applicant would like to put a fourplex on those lots and then be able to sell those off individually, uh, those would have to be condominiumized uh, through a condominium plat so that they could be uh, sold off individually. Um, as Walter said, it's going to be connected to water, the central water and sewer system out in Stagecoach. And so the, the Route County Master Plan identifies Stagecoach as a potential growth center and the Master Plan directs uh, residential and urban type development into the into the growth centers and the potential growth centers such such as stagecoach and so again what planning commission is really trying to answer is is what is what is proposed right now in compliance with the master plan and the stagecoach community plan and a development pro pro proposal rarely complies with every single policy of, uh, of a development plan. So that could be enough to deny an application, or you could take the stance that it is generally in compliance with the plan, even though it doesn't comply with certain, certain policies and make a determination that it, that it is in compliance. Uh, I spoke with Morrison Creek Water and Sanitation District. They recently did a study that showed there are 250 vacant lots that are ready to go connected to the system, but there are other factors that go into uh, determining if those are developable lots. And, that some of those factors include access, uh, whether the lots are for sale by the owners, whether those, own, those lots that are for sale are uh, at a price point that they would become available. So there's, um, there's many different elements that Planning Commission needs to take into consideration when reviewing uh, this application. And I did speak with Rock County Public Works, the Oak Creek Fire Protection District, addressing in Colorado Parks and Wildlife. And 
uh, all of their comments were incorporated into the, the staff packet. Uh, Public Works mainly wants to, at, if approved, will require a engineer traffic study to determine whether there is capacity in the roads to be able to handle this development. Uh, the fire department uh, really just wanted to make sure that the, the roads are wide enough, that no parking is allowed on the roads and that the fire hydrants get installed. And Colorado Parks and Wildlife, they just wanna make sure that there is a wildlife mitigation plan in place to offset or to mitigate any of the impacts from this development on wildlife in the area. And so in the staff packet, there were a couple of issues for discussion that I that we would like to get comments on. And so I'm just pulling up those issues for discussion right now so that they can be on the screen for your reference. And so here's one through one through five right here. Uh, and so I'm those are my comments for now. If anybody has any questions, we I am here to answer them. Looks like Greg's got his hand raised. Yeah, I have uh, two questions. One's a clerical issue. Um, are these applications running concurrently? So like say the zone, if we don't approve the zone, but we would approve 108, uh, that 108 won't pass again. My concern about 108 is if uh, we don't pass the zone, then it has some clarifying things that says that uh, they can't do an extension for the uh, properties. And so that would be my concern then that they would lose out on something that they've already been granted. And uh, any thoughts on that part? Um, so I'll let you answer that question first. Uh, so your, I guess under your example, they would get approved for the sketch subdivision and not approved for the zone change? Correct. Um, well, if the, the, the zone change does not get approved, then the sketch subdivision can't get approved either because uh, the current zoning of these parcels is general residential and the minimum lot size for a general residential lot is half an acre. And so with the proposed sizes of the lots, it would not be in compliance with the, uh, with the zone district. So I don't see how one could get approved without the other. Okay, I was just concerned because I would have suggested to vote on 109 first before 108 if that was going to be the case, uh, but I guess that's a mute point. Uh, my other question that I'm asking is um, vacant lands and high density in the stagecoach area. 
Uh, I know that there is kind of a number in the staff packet kind of saying around 250 vacant lands. Uh, what about high density, medium density? Was there any more further information that you have on that? I, I don't. And I, I asked the district for a map of those lots and they didn't have one because yeah, having a map of the location of those lots would be very helpful to be able to determine is there access and all of the, the other things that I had mentioned, but they didn't have that information. I think what might be helpful and I can bring it up is a current zoning map and it may paint a better picture of the existing conditions. Um, and just to see that this property, although it is, um, let me just make sure that you are seeing up on the screen. Are you seeing the zoning map? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So the property in question is this GR zoning here. This is County Road um, 16 here. This is a PUD, this is Red Hawk, and this is just to orient you. And I think that this gives you a better snapshot of, of what the applicant is requesting. Um, and then surrounding the property is all zoned HDR. Uh, across the street over here is um, the uh, Young's Peak, um, Actually, I said that wrong. Young's Peak is actually up here, but um, this is the Young's neighborhoods Peak. at Young's Peak, trying to keep them all straight, um, is LDR. So um, as you can see what the applicant's asking here, which was a result of a change zone in Allen 1998, I believe in the history. I uh, so, think so. I believe um, it was originally zoned HDR and for whatever reason back in 98 they requested a rezone to this general residential and the difference between general residential and HDR is um, general residential is um, 0.5 of an acre which is 21,000 plus 21,780 square foot lots um, and they're asking for um, 3,000 square foot per unit um, for HDR and then MDR would be one unit per 6,000 square feet. Um, so those are the major differences. Why they did that in 98, um, I don't know if Alan was able to find any minutes or any rationale as to why they would have changed that zone. Um, but I think this paints a better picture for you, just showing what the existing zone in in, um, in correlation to what the applicant is requesting. Brian, go ahead. Um, just pointing out the areas that are labeled HDR uh, to the Northeast, that is South Shore Stagecoach, it's single family houses primarily, half acre lots. And then this loop over here on the western side of the map is Meadow Green, which uh, got bonded. Yeah, all that. That's also single family, as is the area directly southwest of the LDR area, the neighborhoods at Young's Peak. That's also Meadow Green. Yeah, west southwest of there. Yeah. So most of this area is kind of single family house, except for the there's some uh, condos. There's Wagon Wheel, and then um, what's that other one called? Right across the street from Red, Red Hawk. Hawk. Yeah, there's oh, Red Hawk. But there's another one across the oh, street. Oh, right here, um, yes. Eagle's Nest. There you go, Eagle's yeah. Nest. 
Yeah. And, and that's a good point, Brian. Um, but I will note that because these are zoned HDR, they have the ability for duplexes and what the applicant's requesting only if they have water, central water and sewer. Um, there are no sewer services that are extended up in South Shore up here. Um, over here in Meadow Green, they do have water and sewer, um, but you're correct. They are developed as single family, but have the potential, um, any of this HDR, HDR, if you can connect to water and sewer. Any other questions, <clears throat> Brown? Um, hearing none. And I'd like to, at this point in time, open it up to the public for comment. And I would again suggest that if you can raise your hand between Sarah maybe and, and um, Christy. Linda, are you raising your hand? <laughs> I believe she was waving. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> okay, fine. Um, between... uh, Mike Farrell has his hand raised. Perfect. Mike, go ahead. Mike, you need on mute. There we go. Can you hear me? Yep. Yes, sir. Okay, I, I live uh, directly uh, below this hilltop knoll in uh, Meadow Green, right at Ormega Way. And I wrote a letter and I had it attached to the documents, but um, I just want to go over, there's the, the discussion issues that I guess we're looking at today. Um, first of all, uh, the, the number one uh, issue is compliance and is the density appropriate. And my, my plat drawing actually showed this as, as 15 units, but it's now 22. I don't know when that change occurred, but um, so looking at the stagecoach community plan that that's just recently been adopted. I pointed out in the in my letter that the future land use map at the back of the community plan, it's Appendix H, shows this area. Uh, it's zoned general residential, of course. We know that with the half acre lot sizes, but it's also in the district zone district from the future land use map that calls it the existing residential district which by definition in appendix i means that it suggests that there should be no change over existing zoning because these areas already include places that are zoned medium high density, uh, mountain residential, um, different, there's existing zoning to have a variety of housing types and densities. So they're saying they don't want to see the zoning changed in our community plan that's just been adopted. And I really think that uh, also it, it lists in the community plan that the, the planners need to be very cautious in the future to 
to adhere to this plan, to make the plan a useful tool and not stray from it. And we're just very recently into this plan. So I, I think uh, it's pretty clear that they do not wanna see this zoning changed. And we feel that it would be, first of all, non-compliant with the community plan, but the densities are not appropriate for our area based on the residential district, the residential areas we live in are mostly half acre lots. We're in high density, but they're all single family homes. And we wanna protect our view corridors. We wanna protect our property values. I also would say the upper road is gonna be very impactful to our neighborhood. If there's six houses up there, that road comes out and turns directly towards our neighborhood. So we'll have a headlight issue with that. Um, and so for the first issue of your discussion, I think both things are not, I think it can be denied on both of uh, the density being appropriate and whether it's compliant with the community plan. And the second point is there a demand and we, we feel you know, there's Stagecoach has, I believe I had in my notes, 1,800 vacant lots currently at this time. And a lot of those are in the upper subdivisions, which are not, you know, no utilities and things like that. But there are, according to your own uh, notes, 250 buildable lots that are available right now in the immediate area of this subdivision. So I, there is no demand as far as the community demand goes. We have a lot of acreage around here that's already split up and sliced up and ready to be developed. So I don't see the point in developing smaller and smaller parcels and making higher and higher density land out here. And so the second point I think is the demand is not there. And the third point is, it's, is it visually impactful? And this parcel is basically a hilltop knoll. It is visible from basically the entire lower stagecoach area within a half mile to a mile radius, you can see this knoll. So it will be highly visually impactful and I think negatively, and I think it will also be negatively impactful on our property values. So those are my points. I, I think this, it's too much for a five acre parcel to go, what I'm hearing now up to 22 units and, uh, I think it should stay in its existing zoning and it can still provide for a decent sized subdivision with half acre lots, um, more of a quality home situation instead of uh, just for lack of a better word, shoehorning as many lots as you can cram onto this piece of ground. So, 
uh, we're just very concerned. Our whole, I, and I should also note that we gathered every, everyone in our Ormega Way subdivision has signed in opposition to this. And we also contacted other neighborhoods and they've gathered at least 20 to 25 signatures of opposing uh, people opposing this. And that includes Red Hawk, Willow Island Trail, Bannock Trail, and every, mem every household on Ormega Way. So we had 26 signatures on our own uh, neighborhood. So anyway, that's, those are my comments and thank you for hearing me. Thank you, Mr. Farrell. We appreciate it. Uh, next, please. Christy, are you seeing hands? Yes, I am. Uh, David yep. okay. Bingham has his hand up, and James uh, Zimmerman has her, has yeah. his hand up. Mr. Bingham, you want to unmute yourself and go. Yeah, thanks. I just want to follow up on Mike Farrell's uh, comments. I I live in Red Hawk Village. Uh, even though Red Hawk is is listed as high density residential, it's noted that it's still um, single family homes there. So I just wanted to echo his comments and note that when you you invest in buying a home and you look at the the surrounding area and what the zoning is, you expect that that zoning will stay the same not be changed at, uh, you know, uh, without a, uh, a sort of due process. So I think I follow Mike's thoughts that, that we could develop this at, uh, it, with the current zoning that they have now and not go to the high density. And then I'll yield to Jim as well. Uh, Thank you, Mr. Bingham. Uh, Mr. Zimmer, if you unmute yourself. Um, can you hear me? We can now. <laughs> okay. Uh, I also live at Red Hawk and uh, Everybody that was actually living here full time, which is the vast majority of Red Hawk, uh, opposed this. Uh, the one thing I don't know if the Planning Commission uh, has a good feel for is whether or not you've actually been out here and seen this particular area. But if you go to the east of Red Hawk, you come to this knoll and it's a uh, upsloping hill which puts it at one of the higher points uh, for Red Hawk when you're looking uh, to the Southeast. And right now it's just a pasture uh, with some telephone poles on it. And we believe that this would uh, really destroy uh, a lot of the view uh, for this particular area. It would increase 
a lot of traffic, particularly when you're talking about putting these fourplexes on up there. Uh, I assume if they're fourplexes, they're going to be multi-story, uh, which is going to uh, further uh, take care of the view and add a lot more people to a very, very small uh, dense area. And with the number of lots that are available, particularly over in South Shore, uh, those that are all available down on Willow Island and other places, uh, the lots out here are not hugely expensive, particularly since if you follow what's going in in the real estate market, uh, a lot of the lots that are sold over in South Shore and further down on Lynx Pass, those lots are selling for five, six, seven, eight thousand dollars $8,000. And they're not just little tiny lots. They're half acre, eight-tenths acre, one, one acre, et cetera. So to claim that there is a need out in this area to have more available homes or more available lots just isn't accurate. And if you follow what's going on in the newspaper, uh, there's lots being sold out in this particular area every single week. Some weeks there's four, five, and six. Other weeks there might be one and two. But we just don't believe that this is something uh, that is appropriate for our area. And as you've seen by the comments of the homeowners out here, uh, it's not something that we want uh, out in this particular area because we all bought out in Stagecoach because of the way it exists now and all realizing that the lots that are available aren't going to impact up, excuse me, aren't going to impact anybody in a negative way. That's all that I have. Thank you, Mr. Zimmerman. Um, anyone else, please? David Park and then Nathan is next. Mr. Park. Yes, hi, thank you for the opportunity to speak. I'm not in opposition or a proponent for the development. I just have a question. Does the applicant currently own or have an option to purchase the land which is immediately to the north so that the cul-de-sac for the high density development could then extend further into the north? And thank you very much. Um, we'll come back to that answer when we get through the public comment. Um, who's next, please, Christy? Uh, Nathan. Yeah, Nathan Wojcik. Thanks, Christy, for not trying to pronounce that. I, I don't hold it against you, but I am also a resident of... <laughs> <Got caught. Red> <laughs> I'm also a resident of Red Hawk Village, uh, a neighborhood that I absolutely love. I look right into this knoll that everybody's talking about. I appreciate the value of a public notice. Uh, frustrations did stem from what we were able to view as... Uh, six proposed or seven proposed lots on that knoll, uh, five single uh, dwelling lots and two duplexes. And then when Walter uh, provided us with the new lot or plats, 
Um, it was four multi-unit fourplexes. I just, the idea of posting those notices with the accurate in information provides us the opportunity to evaluate this and understand what's happening. The fact that it wasn't accurate and you're now proposing a multi-unit development, it just, it changes a lot of different things and it changes a lot of different perspectives and, or trust of what is going to be planned or zoned for. So I just wanted to express that and join with Mike Farrell and my two other neighbors, David and Jane, and just express that that makes a big difference. That's a very different um, way to evaluate uh, how this zoning should be looked at if it's 22 units versus a potential of, you know, nine units. That's a rather large difference in traffic and everything. We failed to have seen like any traffic studies or anything else. Um, I, I would love to see the wildlife mitigation plan because of all the wildlife that I absolutely love viewing out there, including my screech owl and my other wildlife, my sharp-tailed grouse that we enjoy in the sagebrush community. So I just want to express that and it makes a big difference. 22 units versus a, a much smaller level of uh, density is a big difference. And so I think transparency and accurate posting makes a large difference on how this community can evaluate what level of impact this type of zoning or rezoning will have on all of us in this area. That's all Thank I Thank you, have. Nathan. Uh, appreciate that. Christy, we'll come back to that too after we're done with the public comment and for the opportunity to explain. Um, um, I don't see any other public comments at the moment. Um, if for whatever reason you can't raise your hand and you want to speak, I would encourage you just to do so now and we can kind of um, quality control that. Okay. I'd say hearing none, I'm going to close oh, the- I'm sorry, uh, I'm a little slow. Oh, May sorry. I uh, run a quick May, comment? Felton. My name is Chris Felton. I'm a Red Hawk resident. I live on the same side of the street with Jim Zimmerman and our neighbor, Nate. We're part-time residents in lot 20 of Red Hawk. I'm concerned with the high profile of uh, fourplex units on top of a ridge uh, that Red Hawk sits below. Uh, a great amount of the view is in that direction. And by the time you have a knoll with fourplex is built on top, which I assume would be two-story or even maybe two and a half above ground. <clears throat> Looking in that direction from our neighborhood, all you'll see is those homes. Uh, you won't see uh, toward the reservoir very well. And I, I, I think it should be lower profile. I do see how it's already zoned as high density. I understand that. And that seems to be the case. Um, I would urge the commission to consider lower profile structures for those uh, in our neighborhood that will sit below it and we'll see nothing but those structures when we look in that direction. My other point is I'm a little concerned about the stress on the roadways and County Road 16. Uh, it's already busy. Uh, people drive from there all the way to town uh, with 22 lots 
and um, whatever number of drivers that contributes to the neighborhood. Uh, they'll be using 16, they'll be using 14 then, of course, over Yellow Jacket Pass. Uh, I am concerned about the amount of headlights and the amount of traffic noise and the amount of <clears throat> high speed carriage on the road from people that live a long way from town and are in a hurry to get home. And so uh, another 50 drivers uh, turning left at the turn by the townhouses and then using 16 further into this neighborhood, uh, I would like to have some sort of traffic study that tells us how that's gonna impact the road. Uh, the headlights into my neighbors that are across the street in Red Hawk uh, from me on the County Road 16 side, I know that they already put up with a lot of headlights coming through their uh, units, their residences, and this will greatly increase that. So I would encourage the commission to stress lower profile and lower density uh, for those reasons. Thank you. I don't see it. anything else at this time. Uh, Walter um, wants to respond, just so you know. Did we lose Steve? <laughs> He's on mute. Oh, there he is. Steve, you're on mute. I'm fine. Uh, okay. <laughs> I did drop off for a minute. Um, I would like to, I'd submit that we close the public portion and then, Christy, you are, oh, us couple of answers to questions and Walter, if you've got a comment, um, that would be good. I think I'll start by leading Walter just a bit. There appears to be some confusion amongst some of the um, residents as to the actual units and the, or at least initially the units and what there are now. Can you maybe respond to that for us? Well, yeah, I'd like to remember it's a zoning uh, sketch plan hearing. So we're, we're talking about fourplexes on the units and we're just laying our cards honestly on the table. Uh, so we, we have lots, these are multifamily lots. The plan would be for fourplex units. Uh, and it's, it's nice to hear the comments from the surrounding neighbors in the Red Hawk Village. I returned and, and during this time pulled up the Red Hawk Village plat, which I'd worked on years ago. And those lots are anywhere from 5,500 square feet to 8,000 square feet and single family units. Uh, we'd be happy to do that kind of layout here and, and do that same layout on this neighborhood. So if that's what the community wants to see in this area, then we can relay out our subdivision the same way. Uh, when, I, when I hear about streetlights and this is a knoll and there's gonna be, these houses are you know exposed and gonna ruin views out there. Well, there's been homes built over in the Young's Creek neighborhood that are much higher than this that everybody sees in the neighborhood. You know, if we're going to have growth in Stagecoach, which is based on the community plan in 2017, you know, density provides growth. Uh, there's a lot of lots out there, but people can't afford to build their own homes. You know, they can't afford the price of lumber and everything else. So our developer is a builder as well. They'd like to put these homes on the market. You know, if people are retired or been in Stagecoach a long time, maybe they don't recognize the need of, you know, the housing need that's critical here in Route County. You know, everybody knows the price of real estate in Steamboat Springs these days. And we're going to have to consider that when we make these kind of decisions on projects that are brought forth like this. And the city of Steamboat Springs has the same questions to ask themselves. Uh, 
And I think that, you know, maybe it's not ideal. Maybe people want to see a little less or, or, or have limited heights, but we can't do a project like this with limited heights without having the density. Uh, just as these guys at our risk as developers and, you know, they'll make money on some of these houses, but only if they're allowed to build density. Uh, half acre lots out here where it's currently general residential, where those homes aren't gonna be limited in size. So if somebody would rather see, you know, eight, 35, 4,000 square foot homes out here, then we can probably put those lots on the market and find buyers for them too. So, and those homes are gonna be on that top edge too. And I don't mean this out of any way as a threat. I just like consideration of how this property is currently zoned and you know what people's visions here, because don't forget a lot of this stagecoach around Meadow Green, these other areas is currently high densities. The stalls hold all the cards out there and you know, they'll, they'll come when the time's right or when developer comes to them. But I think consideration for what's presented here with feedback from what, you know, you guys, the planning commission, you guys understand the areas out here too. And so what you envision for this property and what you envision for the next step of growth. I do look at it close to, you know, the store, again, the ever elusive store, elusive store is, you know, considered to maybe go this year uh, and the school sites right here. So to me, when this was brought to us, I could kind of get behind it, but, uh, you know, a few, few items to just consider as well with the other good public comment we've heard tonight. So thanks. Thank you, Walter. Christy, can you explain, um, or Alan wants to come, Alan, go ahead. Yes, yeah, so I do want to respond to some of the comments. And uh, as I said at the beginning, this is a high elevation view of this project at the next stage. We would look at the, the actual details of the application. And at that stage, that's when the engineer traffic study would be submitted that would include estimated traffic counts based on national standards for single family residences, uh, looking at the existing condition of County Road 16 and County Road 14, heading back to 131 to see if they are in uh, appropriate shape to handle this. There would also be traffic counts that would measure the existing use of that road and compare it to the, um, the proposed increase through this subdivision, but that's all at the, the next stage of review. And there is certainly the ability for the planning commission and the board to, uh, if this were approved now, to deny it at the preliminary based on the fact that uh, it would add too much traffic to, to those roadways. So uh, we certainly appreciate those comments. Uh, that will be addressed at the next stage if it gets there. And so I would also like to address the, the change in design. And so the original layout that was submitted showed 13 lots, but just the number of lots doesn't paint the entire picture for the amount of density that would be allowed on those lots. It's the combination of the size of the lots and the zoning of the lots. And so Christy explained that earlier in the high density residential zone district, a 3000 square feet of lot area is required per dwelling unit. 
And then in the medium density residential zone district, 6,000 square feet of lot area per residential unit is required. In the original uh, layout that was submitted based on the number of lots, the size of those lots and the proposed zoning of those lots, it was 31 dwelling units. The revision that was made reduced that to 22. So if that revision had increased the number of available potential dwelling units, then we would have an issue because it is more than what was advertised. But since the revision reduced the number of lots from what, or the, the potential density from what was advertised, uh, it's not an increase in potential impacts, but a decrease and therefore it is Allowed to allowed to move forward. So again, the original proposal would have allowed for 31 dwelling units. The proposal that's in front of you right now is for 22. That explains that. Thank you. Appreciate that. Linda, you have your hand up. Would you explain again, Alan, what the status of the land is right now in terms of how many dwelling units could exist? So, not yeah, the sure. proposal, but the, the as the lots exist now. Thank you. Yeah, based on the current current approvals, they could have eight dwelling units. Uh, Brian Kelly. Uh, just a statement of clarity, if I understand the fact there's been a lot of lot numbers, total lot numbers thrown out, but right now it is platted for three lots. It could be approved for eight lots, but no one has ever seen that plat submitted. I gather they keep renewing a permit for an eight lot subdivision or eight building units. I gather there is no eight lot subdivision recorded right now. Correct. Uh, that that is correct. And again, this goes back to the 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 zoning, the size of the lots, and the minimum lot area required per dwelling unit. So, you are correct. Back in two thousand eight, the county approved a subdivision of uh, of these lots. That plat has not been recorded. The landowner, the previous landowner. I uh, was asked, asked for several extensions to the deadline to record the plat. So they are vested in that approval as long as they either continue to receive extensions to the deadline to record the plat or they record the plat. But no, the, we have, a plat has not been submitted for that approval. And that's why when you look at the GIS, it only, it only shows three lots. So, and, and I wanted a statement of clarity because one of the uh, uh, 
public mentioned nine lots. There's no nine thing. There's three, there's eight. There was 13 originally submitted, and now there's 22 building units being submitted. Those are the numbers. Yeah, and so in that 13 lot proposal, the potential density was 31. So it was only 13 lots shown on the plat, but based on the zoning and the size of those lots, the potential density would have been 31. Gotcha. Steve, I, I don't know, uh, to the chairman, I don't know if you want us to start commenting that where you are in process. Uh, I was actually going to go for questions by the commissioners and it kind of got started. Um, I wanted clarification on the confusion, which I think we've gotten now between, well, from 31 lots down to 22, up to 14 or 13 and back around again. And the other uh, value, I thought Alan did a nice job on um, once again, talking and addressing the, some of the more specific issues that have surfaced from the public, namely for an example, um, light and traffic and so on and so forth. So at that point in time, and then Linda had her question. So yeah, I'm opening it up for questions from staff to, or I'm sorry, from the commissioners to staff and or frankly, the petitioner. Jim? Yeah. Uh, probably more of an observation than a question. Um, I do note that in the staff comments that they do say that, um, that this proposal substantially complies with both the county master plan and the stagecoach community plan. And they also note that the design is in keeping with the character of the surrounding area and fits the pattern of development. And they also note that both the master plan and stagecoach plan support higher density in this area. And that all of the lots meet the dimensional standards in the requested zone districts and there's adequate infrastructure. So I, I appreciate the public comments um, and, and under, I, in, in the sense that I, under, I understand. None of us likes change and it can be difficult, um, but change does occur. And if we're otherwise complying with the master plans and zonings and the appropriate densities, um, I think that has to be taken into consideration as well. So those are just some initial thoughts, Steve. Thank you, Jim. Um, Greg, comments, questions, both. No questions. Uh, to me, I think the zone change is the hardest thing on this. Uh, to me, uh, eight to uh, one, where the petitioner shall uh, show the burden of uh, all the following that exists. And then 8.2.1C, the advantages of the zoning district substantially outweigh the disadvantages to the county and especially the neighboring uh, land uh, to the amendment. Uh, to me, that's my sticking point. Um, that's where I'm really having a hard time with basically all the neighboring uh, communities are against it. I haven't heard anyone other than the petitioner for it. Um, I understand that the zone change used to be high density, uh, but now it's not for whatever reason it isn't. To change it back, you're looking at all the high uh, density all over uh, that area that still kind of seems vacant and that could be developable. Uh, 250 uh, vacant lots. I don't think that the um, 
the change for this, uh, for whatever reason, why it changed in the original to what it is now, um, that that meets that definition right there. So I'd have a hard time opposing it. Thanks, Ray. Um... I think I can just offer some, um, some options to planning commission too, as you are thinking about your round table and it's more just procedurally and to reiterate that, you know, what you're seeing here is the sketch plan and what we would consider conceptual. Um, and, you know, by you either making a recommend, recommendation for approval by no means would um, say that this application is going through because the level of detail will come later. Um, so just think about if this were something that conceptually you think you can consider, it sounded like from the applicant's representative, you know, is really amenable to a lot of your comments and not that, you know, obviously they're offering their, their wish list, if you will, you know, the, the best case scenario of what they would like to do. It sounds like that they may be amenable to reducing some of the density on some of your comments. And if you were to move forward to approve this, what you could do and what we would suggest is to provide clear direction in your comments to them um, if this were to be an approval of what you would like for them to work on and for them to come back before you. Um, and remember that this is a recommendation to the Board of County Commissioners, so they'll see that as well. Um, ultimately, the commissioners will um, go along with your recommendation one way or the other, um, but it provides a really good outline for them to work with as well. So it's just more of a procedure uh, procedural type of um, offering to you all to think about as you are going through your roundtables. Um, Peter and, Jane, and Jim, um, and now Linda all have questions. Now, Brian. Uh, Peter. Um, yeah, I don't have the um, packet before me because it was on my screen, but um, I'm recalling on page 10, there was, I think, 4.10 there was a, a sentence in there that said after, I forget which date, no more HDR zone could be created. Alan or Christy, can you speak to that? You are correct in that. However, it's not complete. Um, I'm finding it right now. Um, It's page 10, 4.1. Um, now, yeah, no, you you are correct about that. So so are we, in, in order to approve this, aren't we having to rezone something into HDR and therefore uh, create new HDR? Sorry, so uh, at least it this phrase is not in the high density residential zone district, but it is in medium density. It, say, it says, except as provided for in the route county master plan or an adopted sub area plan. Um, I don't know why that phrase was left out of the description of high density residential, um, but it, at least for the medium density residential, it, it says that no, nothing will be 
uh, put into that after July 1st, 2006, but it does provide for the ability to do that if it's in uh, compliance with the master plan or adopted sub area plan. That, that's not very clear. <laughs> well, it, it it's meant for situations like this, where if the, because the county does not, the, the, the county master plan does not support uh, residential development outside of the growth centers and all of the growth centers have a sub area plan. And so if that sub area plan supports rezone to higher densities, then the regulations say that that is, that is acceptable because that plan that was created by the community says that it is. Essentially, we look at the master plan for unincorporated areas of the county, as you all know. Um, but if there is a sub-area plan that overlays the subject property, uh, we defer to the community plan of that area. So does that community plan allow us to rezone to HDR? Um, That's the determination that you're making. It does, um, but there is a second part that we included in your packet that um, some of the public comment also noted is that the Stagecoach Community Plan does have a future land use map. And in the future land use map, um, I believe Mike Farrell, you know, eloquently, you know, you know, provided this to you and discussed it here tonight. The Stagecoach Community Plan is unique that it has a future land use map. Uh, for when you are changing zones and or um, considering new land use applications and, and or subdivisions. And it designates uh, this area, this entire area actually to maintain its existing zoning. So this particular property, for whatever reason, we don't know the answer, was changed in two, uh, 1998 to general residential. Um, but the surrounding area is high density residential. Um, Alan, you, just, you just said that the plan says that it's that we should not be changing the zoning. No, no, the master plan says that you shouldn't. It recommends not changing areas that aren't covered by a sub area plan, such as the stagecoach community plan, um, to high density residential. However, when you look at the stagecoach community plan, um, it's different and it supports high density residential for sure because there's a lot of water and sewer in stagecoach unlike other areas of the county. Um, what the stagecoach community plan has is a future land use map that should guide you on some of these types of decisions. And there is a section, and I don't know offhand, I think it was five point, whatever it was, um, Alan can correct me, but there is a section that guides you all to say that um, you should maintain the existing zoning that is on the future land use map. So that would be general residential for this property. Um, with that said, you know, Alan said in his opening statements that all of these plans are obviously guidance for your land use decisions. 
and notoriously applications don't always meet all of criteria and that if you can find rationale to support the application, being that it may not meet all of them, you know, that is within your purview <laughs> to do so, finding appropriate findings of fact. Jim? I was just gonna say that Chrissy's earlier comments reminded me that I thought I did hear Walter say that the applicant had some flexibility or some, at least some concepts about changes or alternates. So, but I don't remember them with clarity. So going forward, if that surfaces, it can be repeated, I would hope. Thank you. Ryan, you had your hand up. Uh, I guess just comments. Um, one main difference between this parcel and the parcel to the west and to the north is I believe that used to be one of the former golf course lots in the original Plateau Meadow Green. And there's water and sewer down there too, but the topography is a lot flatter. This land has got some pitch. Uh, you know, you look at the topography shown on the site plan for the four lots above the lower road, they've got 25 to 35 feet of vertical relief on them. So you're looking at something that's gonna have good sized retaining walls in the back uh, to support that upper road and those single families up there. My gut reaction to it is if, we're, if we as a planning commissioner wanting to see townhomes or condos or fourplexes and stagecoach, that the land immediately adjacent to it is far more suitable, far easier to build on, far more cost effective to build on than this particular piece of property. It seems like the eight lots that are approved, which they've had permission to do for 13 years and have yet to do much of anything, and I know it's a different owner now, um, that's 6,900 an acre per lot for single family houses up there. That seems kind of appropriate given the topography and the surrounding neighborhood of a more uh, mega way and, uh, you know, meadow green to the west across the, the former golf course lot. I know there's a different designation for that, but th this, this is a lot of density on some pretty, you know, lots that have some pitch on them, those lower lots. Thank you. Brian. Thanks, Brian. Uh, Linda. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the stagecoach plan the sub plan was adopted in 2017? Correct. So while we talk about the change in zoning was back in 1998 for whatever reason, clearly the stagecoach plan was adopted at a time knowing what the current zoning is, which is general residential. Am I correct in the dates and the understanding? Yes. Okay. Correct. Now, and, and I know I, I could have gone back and looked at this, but given that I'm sitting in Dutch John and don't have access to all of my uh, zoning uh, regulations with me, tell me what the density, if um, where we're looking at the HDR in the lower area where the four uh, multifamily lots are, what 
is a duplex require. Does a duplex require a HDR or is it considered uh, multifamily or is it considered, I'm sorry, MDR? It, so that depends on the size of the lot. So okay. if, so since in the MDR zone district, 6,000 square feet of lot area is required per dwelling unit, a duplex could be put on a 12,000 square foot lot. Thank you. And so the, the, the high density that's proposed where the fourplexes are, those, the high density requires 3,000 3, square feet per lot. And all of those lots are at least 12,000 square feet, which would allow four dwelling units on that particular lot. But it would have to be high density. Uh, it doesn't have to be high density. I mean, the short answer is both zone districts support duplexes, um, but it depends on the acreage of how many units you can get on there. And if you have central water and sewer. Right. So it does depend on what the proposal is. Um, and um, and in this instance, um, they could do duplexes on the existing approval in the GR zone district um, because if they have, if they connect to the water and sewer, which we already told that they can, um, but it's really a density issue on those lots. And Alan had um, made comments earlier that in order for them to do this on the lots that they're proposing, they more than likely will have to do a condominium type um, agreement to um, make those lots 3,000 square feet each um, that you own essentially for each unit for HDR and then for the um, MDR it would be 6,000 so it would be less dense um, approximately by by half that. Thank you. No problem. Brian. Can, yeah question clarity so Christy can they put eight duplexes on those eight lots? In other words, a total of 16 units. Can they do that right now? Or just eight single family lots? Uh, under the existing approvals? Yes, sir. Under the existing approvals, they can max out at eight, eight dwelling units. Okay, thank you. Any other Andy, any comments or questions? Sure. Um, uh, I guess having been around for half a second, um, I seem to remember Red Hawk receiving some of the same comments um, back when it was going through the process about uh, it's density being too much, it's on need, not being needed, um, the potential impacts. Um, I think that project proved to be pretty successful in the end. Um, when we talk about density the, and the appropriateness of it, I, I kind of feel it is an arbitrary type of thing. Um, I, I don't know that, again, right now, they're talking about putting um, 
one unit on it, but when it comes to design, it may come back as something completely different. Right now we're looking at the subdivision of the lots. Um, I, I like to look at the context a little bit. That GR zoning, there, I understand there's a desire to not mess with zoning, but when you look at the, the zoning map, that is the only island of GR that's there. I would guarantee that it got overlooked um, and zoning changes. Um, so I'm, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily like a hard no against changing the zoning. Um, there's a lot of comments about the need. Um, after the passing of my father, my mom recently moved up here and I can tell you the challenges in trying to find something that let's call it um, attainable um, you know, without having to want to throw down a million dollars, um, multifamily type of units still provide some realistic opportunity for people to gain a foothold and ownership here in the Valley. Um, a lot of the comments kind of border on the nimbyism. Um, it is important to note that we acknowledge as a board uh, potential impacts to property values, but they play no decision in our in how we make our decisions. Um, we we're, we're, we go off of land use, um, and I I think Jim made a point. You know, zoning does change despite expectations, and growth does occur. Um, I I personally think that there probably is a need for some more type of Shushmark, where I have two family members now living in, um, type of development or Eagle's Nest or even Red Hawk. Um, and again, I remember Red Hawk when it came through was, we'll call it somewhat controversial. It was a different pattern of development than anyone had seen before. Um, so I, I think that from the 30,000 foot elevation, there's plenty of room to push this forward, knowing that we have plenty of more times to look at this and how the development comes through. Again, they're saying a fourplex would be desirable, but when they dig into it, it, it might not be feasible. Um, so those, you know, those are just kind of some of my, my quick thoughts on um, what we've been discussing. Uh, thanks, Andy. Mr. Norris, do you have any comments? I do. Short and sweet, and I tend to agree with Andy all the way down the line. Uh, most of the homeowners out there had to suffer through the uh, high densities in a growth area uh, that uh, they have moved into, and I think that the uh, area is selling uh, parcels up and down 14 and 16 uh, just like Oak Creek. In my opinion the uh, the growth center is what it is. We're looking at uh, an infrastructure that will support that growth area and I think the suggested uh, land use areas out there are just that. They're suggested. Uh, if we infringe a little bit and we go with the zoning I think high density fits the area. And I think that uh, um, we can uh, move lot lines and move the uh, 
building envelopes to suit the parcel. So in my opinion, I think uh, I'm, I'm gonna go on both of them. Okay. Thanks, Bill. Um, and uh, um, Alan listed for us maybe five issues for discussion. In my opinion, uh, the first one was, is the requested zoning of potential density that would allow appropriate for the site? I think at this point in time, um, we've kind of discussed that till it's probably blue in its face. And so to that extent, I wanna move off of that one for the time being. Does the demand exist for more lots and stagecoach? Uh, I'm not sure if I know quite what Alan was asking here. However, um, I think if I, if I take that question, is there demand um, for this type of application or this type of density? Yeah, I think the answer is yes. I will agree that it's somewhat of a subjective approach. It, it's hard to come up with hard and firm numbers at this point in time to ascertain you know, what the demands are, but I think everyone at this in the on the commission, as well as probably everyone that's on this call, full well recognizes that housing is an issue in this county. And we need to be thinking about that. And we need to try to do what we should be doing to try to help that problem along. Are there visual impacts that cannot be mitigated? I might, I would defer to the next round um, in the process to kind of go through that and frankly, I would defer to the next process or next steps, if you will, for three or four and five, you know, concerning trash cans required and landscaping, blah, 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 blah. I think the salient points and what we really need to focus on, and when I'm done talking, I'm going to do a straw poll around the table just to see where people are at uh, on those two issues. But I think the facts are what we're dealing with is, do we see enough value in this petition as stands right now? knowing full well that there are opportunities to revise it on a going forward basis, number one. And number two, do we really believe that it makes some sense here in Stagecoach to have this type of development? Um, that to me are the two bigger questions out there that ultimately need to be answered. I think we've got great comment from the public. We kind of know where their heads are at and the things that are bothering them. But I still think at this point in time, I personally would like to see this thing move forward. If it gets adjusted and or if it gets um, voted down at, at the next level, that's a different set of circumstances. But I'm not sure that we're all going to be comfortable knowing that we just shot this thing down or turned it down simply because of what we know today. That's my position. Um, now, I guess with that thought in mind, I kind of like to go around and see if you agree or disagree and if we can kind of move forward and at least come up with a direction. Um, Jim has his hand raised first. Uh, yeah. Steve, I agree with your observations. I think there's opportunities to make change going in the future and it has a sufficient merit to, to, to be advanced to the next step. Um, and I call again on the fact that uh, Walter mentioned that there could be some flexibility on the part of the applicant. So seems no reason not to take it forward for another step. Appreciate that. Thank you, Jim. Um, Bill, I'm just going in screen order now. <laughs> I missed that. What was it? I said, Jim, where, uh, I'm, Bill, where's your, uh, I'm going in screen order. You made okay. the top left. 
So I think you're in favor of moving forward on that. At least I got that out of your last comments. But please confirm that for me. Correct. Moving forward. Okay. Thanks, Bill. Uh, Greg. It's tough. I mean, I understand what you're saying, Steve, and, um, you know, it's not a hard no for me, but still my mind kind of feels that the zoning is kind of with the eight lots that they've already been approved, that that kind of fits well for that area, especially for the mitigations of the vision and everything that I see with it. So I'm still against. And so Greg, just know. to be clear, um, uh, and this is just for the applicant and for the public benefit, um, based on your comments, it's more so a density issue for you, correct? Correct, for the zone change. Okay. Okay, thank you. Um, Andy. Yeah, I, I agree with what you said, Steve, and what Jim said. Um, you know, based on the merits, it can move forward from this point. I think that is acceptable. Um, you know, Greg, I guess I would ask you when you say the density with all the HDR that surrounds it, is it truly adding that much of an impact um, when we look at the scale and scope of the open lands that are to the south, or I'm sorry, to the north um, that are all zoned, you know, HDR, that's when that comes to the table, there's, there's the discussion about density. I think that's gonna really come up. Um, it is important, I think, to note that, you know, real estate transactions in Route County have pretty much been like $30 million a week and they're all like million dollar averages or something absolutely ridiculous. Um, we don't see a lot of anything selling that's actually affordable. So I would say the need for actual, and you know how much I hate that word affordable, um, attainable housing in this valley as an entry point is, there is some need for that um, and we're not seeing any of that from any of the development that's being proposed uh, really in the, the west of Steamboat. Um, there is already, condom we'll call it condominium development in the immediate area providing context. Um, I would be interested to see the engineering, architectural, and landscape solutions for mitigating uh, potential visual impacts um, to, to the adjoining neighborhoods in another step. Thanks for uh, providing that clear direction, Andy. I appreciate that. Um, yeah. um, Eve? Ryan? There we go. Got to keep clicking. Uh, I don't necessarily have, I, I certainly don't have a problem with density in this general area of stagecoach. This particular parcel as I mentioned before, I don't think it lends itself well to high density because of the topography. And when you start getting into the type of retaining walls and engineering it takes to do that kind of density on those kinds of pitches, it starts getting expensive in a hurry. And so you take out your affordable components when you do that. 
Uh, it strikes me that lower end, not, not, I mean, since this is just a round table, round robin, it strikes me that lower end where they've got the four fourplexes should be three or four duplexes. And then the upper, if you look at the topography lines on the upper part, the upper six lots, it's a lot gentler up on top, even though it's up on a ridge top, the topography lends itself pretty well to, you know, reasonably building on a single family house or a duplex up there. But the type of density that they've proposed on those lower pitches, I think you're going to start getting into some dollars in a hurry. And I'm not sure the affordable component will be there anymore. But Brian, just out of curiosity, don't you think that that's an issue that probably will likely surface in the next go around? And that's almost an issue that I think the developer and or the petitioner, the petitioner is going to have to deal with. I'm more focused on, and I, I get where you're coming from, but it's almost like you're engineering it for him right now. No, no, I, I, I marched, I marched the numbers earlier, the three, the eight, the 13, the 22. Right. Uh, and I just, I'm not trying to engineer it. I'm just saying it's a pretty good increase in density on a parcel that I don't believe supports that kind of density well for a number of reasons. And so, so am I putting you down as a yes or a no? A no, a no for 22. I, I would be, I don't know where we jumped the zoning, but I'd be okay with something in between the eight and the 22. Well, I don't think we're discounting that. I think what we're trying to do is understand and does it make sense to get it to the next level? Because at the next round, it seems to me based on some of the comments that have been made particular by the developer, there's room to maybe do some adjustings. But if we're gonna kill it here, all those opportunities pretty much go out the window. Understand. Understand. Yeah. yeah. So I'm putting you down as a no. I'm a no at this point. Uh, Peter. Um, I'd have to agree with both Greg and Brian. I'm a no at this point. Linda? Okay, there we go. Um, go. I would be a no at this point. I agree with Greg and Brian. My concern is that it's too great a jump in density on this particular parcel of land. I think Brian articulated that well. I don't think it's necessarily the developer's problem. Uh, I think it is the stagecoach problem. And given what I think their plan, which was adopted in 2017, says, uh, I am not convinced that uh, it fits the stagecoach plan. Uh, I would add that should this move forward um, as it exists now, or should uh, there be a modification and they come back with duplexes, um, I can understand as long as we don't enter into the sight line as much, maybe a duplex will work. But, and I'm throwing this out here, it hasn't even been discussed yet, but um, I know that when we get to the point that we could look at covenants, I will tell you right now, one of my big issues is gonna be 
HOAs need to put no short-term rentals in their covenants because the county does not have the ability to enforce what is the county rule. And so um, the only way to protect any development out there and have it meet what this developer says their goal is, which is to provide affordable housing to, uh, or obtainable housing to um, the folks that wanna live in the Valley, then we damn sure need really serious short-term rental enforcement in a covenant. So I'm gonna let the, the developer know that I will come, you know, if this moves forward, that's gonna be a huge issue for me. Okay, appreciate that. But in summary, you are no and moving it forward. Correct. Uh, well, and I actually, uh, yes, I'm a yes in moving forward. And now we have what's known as a deadlock, unless my math is bad. One more time. Jim, you're a yes. Bill Norris is a yes. Greg is a no. Andy's a yes. <clears throat> Ryan is no. Peter's a no. Linda's a no. And I'm a yes. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Sarah, is my math correct? Uh, yes. It's correct. You can add. <laughs> In fact, you can count. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Andy um, has his hand raised. He does. And Andy. Andy, go. I would remind the no's that at this phase, we're still supposed to be hovering pretty high. And I think there's a lot of, there's some feelings being interjected in. Um, and there's some, there's an off there. When you say no to this, you're killing it at that phase. Um, and I think some of your density concerns are unfounded since it's high density, it, high, uh, the zoning is allowable um, and is completely surrounding these, what are completely outlying parcels. There are no other parcels zoned in that fashion anywhere in stagecoach within a mile we, we saw the map and so the adjacent zoning to it is the hdr you know blending it in at that point i don't think is a big stretch and i don't feel it's moving beyond the stagecoach community plan while recognizing the intent of that plan um to kind of think keep things as they are you only need to look at the lack of building that's occurring of single family units in Stagecoach. There's in that immediate area, there's one, two houses under construction right now. There's, there's uh, the, the neighborhoods at Young Peak there, I used to plow um, the neighborhoods and all that in there. There's those lots have been platted forever. Nothing like what one house, two houses have gone up three in the last like four years or something. We just, that middle ground residential development struggles to take off here in the Valley. It's either million dollar homes or 
high density residential. And I could see Mike losing his mind there. You know, it'd be good to let possibly, you know, some people come back in and make their comments. But again, I heard all these same arguments about Red Hawk and here it is, look at Red Hawk 10 years later, 12 years later, it's completely full, thriving, a great functioning neighborhood. And so if, if an architectural solution can be made that kind of joins and connects it and mimics it to its immediate neighbor, it, it could work. Andy, I think your comments are totally appropriate. And I guess what, where I come from is, I just think at this stage of the process, I really wanna see this thing move forward so I can see what else can be done. And if nothing can be done or if it can't be, if it can't be redesigned or the topo is wrong, I'm willing to listen to that the next go around. But I think right now, just we're kind of maybe throwing the baby out with the bathwater and we really don't know enough other than the conceptual stuff. And I don't, again, my concern is I'd like to see it go to the next page or next step, I wanna say. Well, and the, thing, the thing Steve is, is like, anyone will tell you like most of our board members haven't actually been around that long but i vote no all the time on things when it's not right when it gets to the point when it's time to make that decision when you're talking about something conceptually you're i don't know i feel like people are digging in a little bit heavy in the process at this point it's conceptual you acknowledge that there's issues you acknowledge that there's problems you let the applicant come back with a solution, and if the solution doesn't fit, that's where you where you where you say it doesn't work. Well said. Um, Jim had his hand raised. Peter has comments. Linda and Alan would also like to speak. Well, start with Jim. Um, I want to echo what Steve said, and I'm picking up on what Andy said. I mean, I appreciate that there are reservations about this. I certainly have some. Um, also, again, remind everybody that Walter had said that there's some flexibility on the part of the applicant. We're really early in the process, and I kind of liken it to uh, um, speaking in parables. It's like asking your neighbor, uh, how about we get together for dinner sometime? And you just say, no. You're like, okay, well, that ends that. No further discussion, as opposed to saying, well, yeah, I'd consider that, but when and where and who's going to pay the bill and what about the babysitter and there's all kinds of things that have to be resolved. And I, I don't think we should foreclose this at this level because it is very, very early in the process. And as I said, speaking for myself, I've got some reservations and we know there's some opportunity for change. So my reason for saying yes is just to move it to the next step where we can get more detail and more focus. Thank you, Jim. Um, Peter? Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's one thing to move it forward in the process and to continue to have a discussion about what we do with the uh, uh, density issue in Route County, since that has come up as the number one issue um, in uh, people's concern about the master plan. So I would like to see this discussion continue, but this is not an open-ended discussion. This is somebody that came to us with a plan that says he's gonna put fourplexes on small lots. So that's, that's what I'm looking at. I'm not looking at him saying, gee, I wanna have a discussion about what the density will be and could I change it or anything else. The thing that I read says fourplexes on small lots. And if that's what we're voting on, I'm a no. 
Did you not hear him, though, indicate that he was amicable to adjusting? Well, he can certainly come back and show us another plan. But I'm not, I'm not voting yes for what's on the table right now, because what is on the table right now is fourplexes. The, the plat shows nothing. The plat shows lots. That's not what he presented his intent to be. Again, that's what they want to try for, but it might not work. And based on all of your comments right now, I think he's hearing you all loud and clear of what the concerns are. Um, so if this were to move forward, um, Alan, you've had your hand raised for, I think you have some insight. So I just want to uh, let planning commission know what the ramifications of some of your decisions could be. So there is in the subdivision regulations, if a subdivision application is denied, they cannot come back and reapply for a subdivision that is similar to that for one entire year. And so if this were denied by the Board of County Commissioners, all development or new proposals would be off of the table for a year. I'm going to uh, latch on to something that Jim has latched onto, and that was the applicant's comments of being flexible in what they are proposing. And I, so there is the option of tabling these applications and giving the applicant specific direction on what you would like to see in a redesign of this application, table it for a date specific, and they can come back to you with a new design based on the feedback that is provided tonight, and we can have this discussion again. Before that gets tabled, I would like to ask the applicant his thoughts on tabling, because as I said at the very beginning, this decision that Planning Commission is making tonight is a recommendation to the Board of County Commissioners. Planning Commission could approve it. Planning Commission could deny it. When it gets to the Board of County Commissioners, the board could make an opposite decision of the decision that is made tonight. So I, I bring that tabling thing up just so that you are aware of that option. But again, I would like to, I think the applicant should weigh in on whether they want to move forward with a decision, a recommendation tonight and test their luck at the Board of County Commissioners or if they would like to table it so that they can refine the design and bring it back to Planning Commission. So Walter, would you, you like Andy. to jump in and address that please? Yeah, well, thanks about... for the opportunity. It's been a good discussion. Commissioners, you know, it's a nice split vote, but we're having a still discussion here. So there's choices here. Um, you know, we have the GRE, we have the GR and a pending eight lot subdivision, general residential zoning here. We're talking about a mix of medium density and high density residential. I've talked about looking back at Red Hog Village and I haven't heard much from the commissioners if a Red Hog Village development is kind of what would be supportable out here. Really that would just half these lots instead of these four lots I'm showing, I'd probably show you eight lots of 6,000 square feet on the same alignment and 8,000 square foot lots above. Uh, and, and that would be it, that would be a higher density. So you have to ask yourself here that you have eight single family lots, or if you think this subdivision, this land of three and a half acres 
can afford, you know, additional additional density here. Uh, this these people aren't going to hold onto this lot and not build it and keep it pristine. So they're going to either move forward with their final plot that they current have, or or ask for this medium density. Uh, but the, the idea was, what does the community want to see? What does the stagecoach neighborhood want to see? We have all this opposition from Omega Way, and I think that's you know, take that for what it's worth. I've spoken to that. I won't challenge them. That's the way they feel. But there is a market need and we'll get there one way or another. Uh, and if you're going to see some big single family homes up on this, well, that's what is allowed by code. And so I'll just come in with no variances and a layout that does that. Or we have the opportunity to do something, you know, medium residential, 6,000 square foot lots. So uh, I prefer not, I'd, I'd rather take a table and reassess than a denial and be denied for a year from doing anything with this property. That's very limiting to our opportunities and the land use. Thank, Thank you, uh, Walter, appreciate that. Brian. Uh, and Alan took the words right out of my mouth. I, I think you can gather that there's probably some leeway here with the commissioners, including myself, I'll speak for myself, but for maybe something in between this and and I heard what Andy said and I heard what Steve said and I heard what Jim said that this is just the initial part but it, it just strikes me we're too far off the mark for what you know what I think the density of this particular piece of property should support and I think that mark is more in the the 12 to 14 unit range that's when I look at this and maybe I'm looking at it too technically Steve I can't help myself Sorry. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> yeah, but I've, I've been looking at ground for a long time. Um, and that's how it sort of strikes me that th that would enable you to do the architectural landscape architecture elements to blend it in better. But the type of density that's being proposed here tonight just seems like it's too much. And, and yet I could see duplexes on those lower lots. I can see that and I can see the single family up above. And I apologize if I'm too into it this early in the game, but it's that's a sizable percentage to be 12 to 22 or 14 to 22. And I know Walter's really good at this kind of thing. He can regenerate a revised site plan and, and he's not delayed a year. The applicant isn't delayed a year and then probably go to the county commissioners with an approval for something less than the 22, but more than the eight. I think that's pretty plain spoken, I hope. It is, thank you, Brian. Linda, you had your hand up. I don't wanna. Uh, I think Brian pretty much stated how I see this. Um, I mean, I'm not looking at this as something that is requiring all single family dwellings. I just think that the uh, high density fourplexes uh, are too much for this particular parcel. And I also don't think it fits the stagecoach subplan. But I think duplexes that are at a lower level could could. I mean, obviously, we we don't know what we're seeing yet. But I would uh, agree that if we could table this and see something that reduced the density a little, that that uh, would be a, a a better consideration. Um. Okay. Given the intensity of the discussions and coupled with 
what I appear, I think I heard um, the petitioner indicate that he would be interested in tabling the matter to some date specific. Um, and I'd like for the petitioner to confirm that. Um, I'll, we'll set it up so as to move forward on tabling it. But again, Mr. McGill, one more time, I need for you to just confirm what I think I'm hearing. Yeah, my client's listening in and, and that's what we're talking about. I've done some math on the site as we're looking at it in the, the upper area. And so we might be looking at a 14 unit, you know, medium density residential development, similar to Red Hawk on the lower end and similar to Red Hawk on the upper end uh, okay. in the configuration of what we could do up there on those homes. Well, I think under the circumstances then at this point in time, those that voted yes probably get what they wanted and those that voted no are getting what they wanted. So in the end, it's probably a smart move for all involved. So Christy, do we, we need a date specific? Yep. So we happen to have some available dates, believe it or not, in the near future. Oh. And it will be up to Walter um, to inform me what date works best for you. We do have an available date um, at our next Planning Commission meeting, which is the 20th. So that would be May 20th, but that may be a little too soon for you. Um, Alan saying that's too soon. Okay. Um, yeah, because that, that would require staff packets going out next week and getting a redesign and analyzing it yeah. and everything that's too tight. Okay, that was being aggressive. Um, so the next after that would be June 3rd. <laughs> So that means we would have to have all the information submitted to us, Walter, um, by the 26th, you know, um, of, of May. Uh, no, I would want it, because the, the, the staff packet would have to go out on the 27th. So I would need some time to review what is proposed and prepare the staff packet. So if we went with May 3rd, I would say a deadline of, I mean, June 3rd, uh, deadline of May 19th, uh, May 20th, that would give me a week to review and prepare the staff packet if, Walter, if that works for you. That yeah. gives you about two weeks. We, we would happily make that work. Yep. There, there's not a whole lot of difference here. There's not a whole lot we can do. Uh, the roads are kind of set where they're going to be, so you'll see some different divisions. I think I'll try to include some architectural plans, but that's going to be conceptual. So we're still looking at zoning, but uh, we welcome the opportunity. And in two weeks, we can certainly get that material to Alan and his team. And I just want to oh. state for the oh, record too, I mean, this, this has got to be one of the best um, roundtables we have had um, in a long time. And you all really provided really great comments for and against um, for the applicant to consider. And this is the kind of thing that we do want to encourage on applications because the, um, the applicant's hearing you, you know, and they're hearing the concerns. So, you know, hopefully they're taking that, you know, all of them, you know, even the public comments into consideration. It sounds like we're happy that they are willing to consider all that and being amenable. So thank you for that. Um, so the date that we are looking to table this to for the motion the planning commission would be June 3rd. Third. Yep. And, and in the motion, if you could include the date to submit information by um, May, May 20th. 
And also I'd like to add in the, in the motion, it needs to provide the specific direction, the specific additional information that you would like to see submitted. <laughs> Who's willing to do that? <laughs> I move um, that we I move that we postpone or we table, table this application to June third. That we at that point look at an application of around fourteen units, and that the information be submitted to planning staff by May twentieth. Um, I'll second that motion. Before we vote on that motion, um, a piece of it, do we want to limit it to the units or we just want to see a, a reduction in the densities? Uh, no more than 14 units. I was trying to, you know, I mentioned 12 to 14 earlier, but, and then Walter came back with 14. So he was, he said he already sort of generally had a concept at 14 units, if I heard it correctly. Well, I I could be up one or two. I don't know. I could be up to 16. I guess I'd like to have the opportunity. So, I mean, we, we know where you guys are with density. I've heard you. I've taken notes. So I'm not going to come back in with a plan that shows 20 units. But if I can show a plan that I feel serves, you know, on this upper cul-de-sac or, or changing the road a little bit, I don't want to, you know, if that's what it's going to be, 14 is 14. Uh, and so that, I would just say we could leave the number open. I kind of have a tendency to concur with the petitioner. I guess I'm not comfortable, but I suppose it can happen that a planning commission starts to dictate what it seems to think is totally workable and appropriate. Um, I get the concept, but I don't know if I like it. Um, Linda, go ahead. I agree with you, Steve. I think that it's much more appropriate. The developer has heard us and if we uh, put in a specific number that just creates, um, from a legal standpoint, I mean, I look at it and say, yeah, what if it's a 16 unit and we all think it's great and now we have a problem because we were too specific. So I would concur, the developer knows what the issue is, let him decide if he can meet it. Ryan, can I get you to amend your amendment or amend uh, your I, Yes, I am friendly to everything I've heard from Linda. And <laughs> I think I'm about to hear from Andy and uh, Jim. So to, to not specify the number, I think we've given enough indication and then we see what he comes back with, right? Is that fair enough? That's fair enough. So we have a motion that's been amended. We have a motion and a second that's been amended um, I don't know that's really totally necessary to take a vote on the amendments. I think if um, we just move forward and vote, sorry. Do you want to hear what Andy or Jim want to um, add? Sure. I missed that. Oh. They had their hands up. I, yeah. uh, first, I had a procedural question. Um, once the motion's been made and then been seconded, uh, the friendly amendment has to come from somebody else, I think, or from the second. I don't know if I'm procedurally remembering that correctly. And I'd also offer that this is in regard to activity number PL-21-108 and activity number PL-21-109 uh, sketch subdivision and zone change for the land alt view sketch subdivision. 
Uh, okay, then I'm gonna go to Jim and then we'll resolve this shortly. Uh, <clears throat> Andy was correct in identifying the specifics. Um, uh, yeah, I favor being more general. Uh, being specific is not a good thing. We're not in the business of designing applicants projects or defining limits that we deem acceptable. We have to look at what they propose and deem it acceptable. So a more generic uh, description is appropriate. Otherwise, I certainly favor the, uh, the tabling as, as moved. So I'm not sure if this is really required, but I'll do it anyway. Linda, I'm looking at you to provide as the third party, the friendly amendment that changes the specific date to a general date. It changes the specific number of units to a general reduction in density. What did I, oh, I did say dates, didn't I? Sorry about that. No, I understand. Uh, okay, fine. So I so would- So we have, uh, go ahead. I was just going to propose a friendly amendment that would remove the words uh, reduced to 14 and instead indicate that uh, as a friendly amendment, uh, we would entertain what the developer would bring back in light of these discussions. Linda, can you add the PLs that oh, Andy yeah. mentioned? Certainly. Uh, I, got, I got those, I got those. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I'm gonna dispense with all the formalities. We have a motion to table until June 3rd. Um, the developer's gonna come back with a reduction. Alan needs his um, data by May 20th. Alan, is that correct? Correct. Okay. All those in favor of, of tabling the matter to June 3rd and the additional comments, please indicate by saying yes. 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 And then anyone opposed? Please say no. Chair votes yes, motion is carried. This matter is tabled to June 3rd. Thank you. Thanks everyone, appreciate the discussion and the input. You betcha. Christy. Hello. I think <laughs> we're winding down. Yeah. So I was gonna save my comments, but I wanted it for the record, you know, for the commissioners to see and you know, obviously, you know, I sincerely mean that, um, that this was a great round table. This is one of the best we have seen in quite some time on a good application. Um, all of your comments, you know, Linda, you know, Brian, you know, who were actually, you know, uh, opposed at first. I mean, you made some really great comments, but amongst all of you, um, you know, Andy's experience and, um, you know, and just, you know, commenting on some of the other applications. So, you know, with that, I'd like to just transition into uh, the training schedule. Um, so um, we have been talking about getting the um, county attorneys on board to do a Roberts rule training. And so um, since we don't have anything slated for our May 20th meeting, I was looking to see and just getting a little quick roundtable from you all if that date would work to do a training, but during the day. I don't know, I can't confirm what works for the attorney's office yet. Um, I wanted to really 
get a better picture from you all that if we did a training that day, um, and we can be flexible a day or two, but I'm, uh, I would like to shoot for that day um, since it is a slated planning commission date, if you would be okay with the afternoon at some point to do a, um, a training with our attorneys. Tell me the date again, Chrissy. Uh, that would be May 20th. On the 20th. Thursday. Okay. Mm -hmm. and, and how much training do we need? <laughs> well, at this point, you guys are showing really good stuff. So, uh, <laughs> can I comment on that? What's that? I said, can I comment on that? <laughs> Go ahead, Sarah. Never mind. Yeah, a little Robert's rules would be good. Yeah, yeah, I, agree. yeah. I mean, it's I always agree. a good refresher. It's it's really required once a year anyway. And then it's a good Q&A if you guys have any sort of legal type questions. Andy, go ahead. Oh, you that was, that was a thumbs up just saying oh, I, I agree that, I agree it. with Sarah. It's a very important aspect of what we do. Um and it helps with those procedural things so that we keep things straight. And I did want to recognize that Brian is a consummate professional and has been doing this forever. And I always greatly appreciate his perspective on all of this stuff because he's been around for at least half a second. <laughs> <laughs> so is the 20th okay with people? Linda. Uh it, will it be Zoom, whether it's during the day or not? Um, yeah, we'll do a Zoom meeting. I think that will just be easier to coordinate at this point. Um, but we'll get into, um, I'll, I'll speak to um, moving into the other format um, and when that will be slated. But yeah, it will be Zoom. So I think there'll be more flexibility for people. Uh, Jim has his hand up. Yep. Uh, uh, Christy, the, the 20th is good with me. I have a conflict at one for about an hour, but I'm good in the morning and, and I'm good after two o'clock. Okay. And Brian has the handle. Yeah, I asked about how long it is. That makes a difference too, because uh, yeah. Is this an hour, two hours? Yeah, no, we're, we're talking about our, you know, two tops, but I can't imagine, you know, it really depends on you all and the Q&A, but we, I would slate it for an hour is typically what we do. And I can do an hour via a phone call. I'm not always near a Wi-Fi, but I can usually get to a high spot that accesses our marvelous cell tower deal. So I could call in and listen. Okay. That okay? would be great. Yeah. Um, somebody else was trying to chime in. I no? think you're I think you're good on the 20th. Okay, so I'm gonna um, follow up with the attorneys and I'll send out an email about that. Um, one other thing I just want to, um, mention, um, uh, recently I just discovered the other day that, um, for whatever reason I'm working with it, I'm getting a lot of emails to my junk mail for whatever reason and people that I have communicated with. So I'm trying, trying to sort that out, but I just discovered this yesterday and I saw Brian, you had sent me a couple of emails and we routinely go back and forth. Um, so um, just to let you know, like if I don't respond to anybody, I mean, if I don't respond that day, that's normal. <laughs> but if, you, if there's something important and you don't hear from me, I am pretty much back in the office now and just call me because I may not have gotten it. Um, Jim, I did see I had an email, I believe from you also. 
Um, and so I'm in the office tomorrow if you want to give me a call and if there was anything that you wanted to go over. Um, and I think that was it from Planning Commission, but I'm just trying to follow up on some of that stuff, but uh, can't explain why. Um, Christy, my email was to ask when you were going to be in the office. You just answered the question. <laughs> oh, there you go. Um, so all staff right now, so we are doing a rotating schedule right now. So we are opened up, but still being cautious. And so we have, the, the office is staffed is the important part. Um, we do have a rotating schedule and we have designated days that each of us are in the office. Um, but we also, if you call and leave us a message, those messages go directly to our email. Um, those don't go to our junk mail, <laughs> that is for sure. And um, so we get those whether we're working from home or in the office, but you can stop in at any point and any one of us planners are there from this point forward. Um, so looking at our agenda moving forward, we, um, as you know, we don't have anything for the night of the 20th, which is a regularly scheduled planning commission meeting, but um, I'm gonna try to schedule our Roberts rule with uh, discussion with the attorneys earlier that day, maybe from two, at two o'clock or you know, sometime you know, later in the afternoon there. Um, I'll see what um, his availability is and he's pretty flexible. So I'm confident that's what you can expect. And then, um, and then we just scheduled this application for June 3rd, the next meeting. And we actually don't have anything on the books at this point scheduled, but I also like to mention, and I've mentioned before, that does not mean we're not busy. We do have a lot of applications that are um, at the phase where we're, or they're coordinating with a planner to try to schedule a date, or they don't have a complete application. So some of those kinds of applications you can expect are two special use permits. Um, one I previously mentioned is for um, a dry campground um, outside of Yampa going up to the flat tops there. Um, so we're just coordinating with them right now, um, as well as uh, the landfill, um, which uh, they need to come in for an uh, an, a special use permit or an amendment. Alan, I don't know if you're still on the call, um, but um, correct me if I'm wrong there. And then we also have the Clark store that we are working with those uh, property owners right now. That should be an interesting application and they're looking to do a PUD amendment. So that's a planned unit development. It's essentially an overlay development that they have currently. Um, but they are looking to propose some new amenities um, and some changes to their overall operation. Um, so those are some exciting ones. In addition to a lot of what we're seeing is at the administrative level, which is something that I approve. Um, and we're seeing a lot of activity and uptick in those kind of applications. So an example would be Alpine Mountain Ranch, for example, and Marabou. Those are both land preservation subdivisions. And for years, you know, um, and it just goes and speaks to what we're seeing in the Valley and all over the country with just real estate going up and um, things that were vacant for quite some time. And, you know, the desire to build on a lot of these lots. And, um, and this is just for you all to know and some of the, the newer members really 
is that the old practice when we reviewed subdivisions, um, so what you saw tonight, when it gets later in the process, they, in the past, we would identify build, building envelopes on a lot. And, you know, over the years, we found that wasn't best practice to do so because in a lot of cases, it was not really based on anything other than, hey, this looks like a good spot. And this is where the developer is telling us that they want the building lot to be in addition to setbacks. Um, we have found later that the best practice and better way to go about this is to use our regulations and, um, and have the developer provide no build zones. And that's a section in our regulations that essentially identifies slopes that are greater than 30% or you know, areas identified as wetlands or um, unstable slopes, what, what have you. Um, so they basically hash out those areas on their building lot. And now we just dictate, use zoning to dictate where they can build in addition to the no build zones. It's way more efficient. Um, you know, we can back that up by the regulations. It makes sense. Um, so what is happening now is we have these older subdivisions like Alpine Mountain Ranch and Marabou that were approved back in 2006-ish. And people interested to buy those lots and they're like, hey, I want to buy this up, but that's a silly building area. I don't want to build there. If I can meet 50 foot setbacks, why do I have to be in this box here? So what we, we have a process for that and it's administrative and it's a building envelope removal. And, um, you know, apart from it being administrative, it um, is something that requires a replat of what was approved. Um, so it's basically done internally, but I gotta say we are seeing a lot of those. Um, in fact, so much so that we have recently discussed with our attorney a better way to reach out to these subdivisions or HOAs representatives um, that, hey, you know, if you have a lot of interests, let's try to bring these in in one application and how best we can do that, you know, rather than piecemealing these. And then time is of the essence, right? Everybody wants things done tomorrow for the sale, right? And it's typically a four week process. Um, so we're trying on our end to figure out how we can bring this through the process more at once and it makes more sense to do so. Um, so those are just, you know, some of the feedback and some of the types of applications that we are seeing. Um, and, you know, we do have, um, Ronnie's last day was this past Friday. Um, Elena um, is on the call. She's our, most of you met her earlier, that she is our newest planner, the planner tech. And she seems to be a good fit. We're really excited. Um, and to really, you know, assist, you know, where we're seeing the most stress right now, you know, with, with planning between code enforcement and or um, these administrative type approvals. So um, as always, I just wanna to continue to keep you all in the know of what we're seeing and, and with the process. I also just submitted my um, monthly report to the county commissioners. So for those of you that are interested, I can share that with you. And it just gives a, an outline of, you know, all the planning activity that we have going on that I provide on a monthly basis. So I can share that with you. 
Um, I know Steve always um, is uh, wanting to see those. Um, I don't know if the rest of you care to have more emails um, and if this administrative report is good enough for you, but I can just share it and you don't have to open it. So um, that's up to you. <laughs> um, apart from that, um, I think that, oh, and the last thing I just wanted to mention is we, we've been talking about going into in-person format. Um, so the latest is that the commissioners are slated to start um, having public meetings and in-person meetings June 10th. Obviously, we all know this changes weekly, um, but this is the latest. Um, and they have, they asked for feedback from me and, and I, you know, provided them the update of, um, which is also in my report to them, but I verbally also spoke with them about our discussions and preferences. And definitely there is um, interest to go back to in-person, but we would maybe consider, you know, to have that flexibility to have Zoom type virtual meetings if it was warranted, you know, if it was a light agenda, for example, and we would know that ahead of time. Um, so I provided them that feedback and they thought that that was great. Um, they did wanna say, let basically them be the guinea pigs, if you will, like to see how it's working for them first going back. And still, if we're in this, you know, just we're, we're on this uptick of a good, you know, place where we're all being more people are being vaccinated, it's safer. Um, but I would expect we would plan to look to go back sometime in July. So have the commissioners have a couple of meetings first, get some feedback, see where we're at, where we're at and then um, plan for July forward in person with that caveat if there was something that we felt we can do over Zoom to not have people drive in for something to approve minutes, for example, um, or straightforward or items on consent agenda that we could um, inform you all of that. With that being said, is that enough for you all at 8.49 at night? Christy, I know Sarah's I've a, answer. I've got a question, Christy. When are you gonna open up uh, applications for Ronnie C? They are open. They are. So if you know anybody that is interested, um, please, please encourage them to, um, to them apply. We did apply. Uh, we did put out the advertisement um, last month and we actually got really poor feedback and we only got four applicants. Um, it was really discouraging and the applicants weren't great. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, one is that the county um, started on this new endeavor to change job titles and um, it really, you know, this is proof of, you know, my criticism of it is that, you know, they tried to put all admin fives, which was the current or the prior category for someone like Ronnie, Ronnie was an admin five, and they put everybody that was an admin five and labeled them as office technician. Maybe it's a fancier thing in the corporate world. I'm not sure, um, but, um, I had reservations about that title and what that means, because I think it's misleading. And, and proof was that um, two of the four that applied had a very strong, that they were men who had a very strong background in um, IT. That was their background. 
and and it wasn't the fact that they were men it's just that they were men was a fact and that they had an IT background um and then you know to add to that we have this whole new convoluted system of what the county just recently also moved to another change to try to make things more efficient to apply and it's all automated and it's over this new system and it's very cumbersome and what happened was is that there was a glitch in the system just for hours by the way that you can click on to look at the job flyer like which gives the job description so based on that information i found out later and this happened i found out for the first five days it was advertised people looked at that job description a uh, job title that is office technician without seeing the description and applied for the job. What does that tell you? There's a lot that we can say, but anyway, uh, point is, is that I worked with HR and um, we changed the job title um, within the parameters I was able to, uh, to make it planning administrator assistant slash office technician, because you needed to have that in the title um, based on the new rules. Um, It actually went it w- went into the paper this past Saturday, and um, and already I think we have we have two applicants already, but I left it open until filled. Um, across the board, though, I will say what we are seeing, and it's probably nothing that you haven't heard about. You know, um, really, it's really difficult to find empl- find people want to be employed at these points and we don't have to get into the politics of it or what have you but um, almost every department is um, advertising for positions and everybody across the board is having a hard difficult time trying to fill those positions Um, so um, we were really lucky that we had a really decent good applicant pool for planner tech and obviously we found a really great candidate for our planner tech So we're happy for that. Um, But the administrative type positions um, across the board, every department's really having difficulties trying to fill those. So we're keeping our fingers crossed that maybe, you know, me working with HR and changing the description and the title a little bit more for what the job is, may be um, something that, um, you know, we'll see more people, more interest with. So. We're um, we're six minutes to nine. I'm sure everybody is tapped out, but I am available for questions, comments. We're all good. Um, one quick thing, maybe, or we can maybe we'll send for the next week. We need to do, we need to reelect a chairman, or we need to elect a chairman and a vice chairman. But we do. At this hour, we can save it for the next one too. I, I took it as last time, probably a couple of meetings and, and the fact that we have a couple that aren't here tonight. Um, maybe we wait till the next, after the next meeting and then, see where, and then see where you're all at. And, um, right. and then we'll go from there. There, yeah, as okay. we all know, there's no need. And, um, but I think it's a good idea. I think you all got a good idea of how you all, um, a valuable member of planning commission tonight and what you all have to offer to, you know, make those decisions. Um, but I would like more of you all there part of the decision. Uh, and maybe we'll look to schedule that for 
or have it on consideration for June 3rd. Perfect. Great. And I think we're done. Great. Anybody have anything? Ryan? Bye. <laughs> Bye, Peter. Good job, Steve. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks everybody. Yep. Thank you. Have a good weekend. Maybe Hello, Alana everybody. can teach Andy something about backcountry skiing. There you go. I just thought I'd try that. Parting shot. Parting shot. <laughs> and I, I didn't get out at all this year, Brian. It was.